Welcome to the Tuesday edition of Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I have a very special guest here from the worldwide leader, Seth Walder, analytics writer, sports analytics writer, uh, football guy, I would say a little bit, uh, former beat writer for the Jets and the Giants or just the Jets? Uh, I was the, I, I had the one year at the end where I where I bounced between the two, but mostly just Jets. Mostly just Jets. Uh, actually, I didn't prep you for this other podcast, but uh, uh, you, you want to drop us with some Manish Meta stories by any chance or no? No. <laughs> okay. We'll take a no comment there, which makes sense. Uh, no, I think I've no seen comment. you no comment him before in an article, which, uh, which, which you, people, the people could go look that up if they want to find it here. But what we're going to talk about today, forget all that nonsense now that I've taken us completely off track. We're going to talk about today ranking and looking at some different NFL Team, So this will encompass front office, kind of their practices on the field, time management, all this sort of stuff that we whine about all the time, right? Nerds are always whining about this sort of stuff. So we want to take which teams really deserve the hour. You know, we have hashtag hour is a thing, a little bit on Twitter for the Ravens or the Browns sometimes, or maybe the Jaguars coming in, other teams that may be up the Eagles, other teams that may be in there. So we're, we're trying to figure out Like what qualifies a team as actually fitting this bucket of being an analytically friendly team, not only that we can count on now, but we can count on in the future. And that'll be, we'll be talking about the Chargers a little bit here because we, we thought we could count on him. Um, And then they, they, they ruined, they, they, they massacred our boy. They massacred our boy um, um, uh, for, for Brandon Staley. So we'll talk about that too. But before we get to that ESPN, you got a bunch of stuff going on with different metrics, different other things that are going on. So I want to hit up a lot of that first, but let's start news. So it's like three portions here. Let's start a little bit of news here. And there's a bubbling calls. I would say, I see Arif Hassan was calling for it. I think I saw, um, I'm not sure it was Mike Jones, someone at The Athletic talking about it. Um, and others, I think maybe even of our own, PFF underscore Mike, uh, who's, a, who's a Green Bay Packers fan here. Uh, Mike Renner was talking about it. This whole idea of maybe sitting down Aaron Rodgers now. They're 4-8, and eight, the Packers. Sitting him down, bringing in Jordan Love, seeing what you have. And a lot of people saying that this would have pretty much lead to the dissolution of the marriage here between the Packers and the, and Aaron Rodgers going forward and seem to be okay with that. So, I I mean, I'll I'll give it to you first because I have my own takes. I'm being annoyed by this a little bit as I am often uh, by things on social media. Do you have any takes for me out of the gate with people saying this? I'm weirdly neutral here. I think I feel, so I'm curious to hear what you say. Yeah. I understand the totally get the desire to see love, and he looked pretty good uh, when he came in. So yeah, those nine, those nine dropbacks were against against prevent defense. Were were amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, they didn't do a very good job on the prevent. Also uh, on the Christian Watson touchdown. But go ahead. Still, I think you know I, I I understand. It's so weird because like I just don't understand what the Packers' plan has been this entire time. Like you went, they went so far in on Aaron Rodgers, and then refuse to get him uh, a wide receiver. And I just don't understand how that makes sense in any way whatsoever. Um, they're not like eliminated, you know, and the NFC is weak. So yeah. And Aaron Rodgers. Not officially. Yeah. So 
but they also have an easy out here. Like he's hurt. So you can, you can, you can, everyone can save face and you can move to love and you can see what happens and you can just say, well, you know, he was hurt, which is true. I don't know. I'm tempted by it. I, like you're, I think you're against this idea. You, you think they should. Well, stick okay. With okay, until, okay. So, I mean, I, I talked about this a little bit. We don't know that much. Like we don't know that much about Jordan love and, Maybe you could say what they've seen from him in practice doesn't give them a complete idea of how good he is either until you, you know, you're in live action, until the bullets are flying when you're right down the field. Eh, I mean, maybe that's true. I, 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 think they, I think you get a decent idea of how good someone is via practice for this is his, you know, third season here. This is not like, you know, where we, he's gone through rookie mini camp. You know, you might not know what you have there. Famously, uh, Deshaun Watson. Um, DeAndre Hopkins was calling for Tom Savage to start rather than Deshaun Watson based on what they'd seen there. I mean, it makes some sense there. Now, Jordan Love, he was never even active as a rookie. Not great, right? It's probably, if you're not even at least the backup, it's not great. He did have a start last year against the Chiefs. Not good at all. Um, he played the second half of week 18, I believe, against the Detroit Lions. Again, not good at all. But and he's been good in some little spot starts here. And I just, I don't know, just the way that they've approached having him, the discernible lack of any sort of buzz with him, and the fact that, of course, Rogers got two MVPs, so he played into it. But they were, the contracts that they gave Rogers, this, this big economy, they're pretty, they desperately wanted him to come back, obviously, and, and to still play for them. So I don't know. All those signs point to me like love may not be that guy number one so that's part of it but i think the bigger point is this is maybe a very unanalytical sort of take is if you have a four-time mvp uh won a super bowl for you yeah you didn't have the greatest playoff success and i know packers fans like i always i'm always amazed by how annoyed they are um maybe a little spoiled uh there in in uh green bay and you know four-time mvp he back-to-back MVPs coming off here, probably a top five, six, seven greatest quarterback of all time. Like if he wants to play, let him play. Like, why, why, like, doesn't he deserve it? Doesn't he, don't you owe him that a little bit versus the slight chance of getting a few games of seeing Jordan love. And then I don't think he's magically going to become the next in the Favre uh, Rogers lineage of green bay quarterback so i guess that's probably it more 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 than me than anything if he wants to play until they're eliminated at least if he wants to play through the thumb uh he doesn't look like he's in physical decline this is not peyton manning 2015 in the same sort of way you know why not just show him that respect and let him play well i think there's like probably a middle ground here that can maybe happen naturally which is you just let rogers play again like this week you lose again that can be enough you go to you go to love then and and it doesn't it's all fine plus they have this you know he's injured it really everyone can can save face um now i don't remember if i said that twice now if i said to save face the first time okay i don't know i don't know right did i say that do you want to just do you want to just start from the top i guess i don't even know now do you want me just to start with my aaron Rodgers take again or what uh, i don't even know yeah it's fine if you repeat the same thing twice. Uh, yeah, let's just, okay, let me just let me just do what we were doing. I'll, I'll repeat the same I'll shit over and over again constantly. Okay, go ahead. Okay, I think there's a middle ground here that like could probably play out naturally, which is you just let Rogers play again. 
it's fine. Like you said, he's back-to-back MVPs, even if he's not playing nearly as well this year. Uh, they lose, and then you just go to you just go to love a week later, and that's going to be – you're just trying to get a couple games out of him. So that probably accomplishes the same thing. Uh, so I think, it, I think it's fine. Uh, and, and Rodgers is injured, so he, he, everybody sort of saves face all around. I do think it's interesting, like you said – well, I feel like you should be able to tell uh, in practice how good a guy is. And that does make me think totally different situation, but it does make me think about the Jets and Mike White coming in, playing so well against the Bears. Granted, like we got to see it against a better defense. But if he keeps it up, it will look good for the Jets because they made this switch and the rest of the team is playing so well. But also look bad for the Jets because what were you waiting for if you had this guy on your, on your bench and Zach Wilson was just uh, throwing wins away? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there's, there's, it's all this, all this stuff comes out like when the vultures start circling a little bit. So the vultures were circling a little bit on Zach Wilson, where they were saying even in the spring of this year that players were like, "What the hell is going on here?" With these just spraying balls all over the place. So yeah, being able to execute things. I mean, I think back also to Patrick Mahomes. There was this buzz. There was a strong buzz around Patrick Mahomes, even yes. though he didn't play anything except for Week 17. At that point, he did play Week 17 as a rookie because it was a meaningless game for the Chiefs. But there was a strong buzz around how he'd been looking in practice and on the you know and on the scout team and all that sort of stuff. So and, you know, it's, anything's possible for love. But I guess I would say, eh, you know, maybe not. Maybe not the strongest possibility to burn bridges with your, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the best player you've ever had uh, for your entire, for, for your franchise, period. Um, probably not, probably not worth it for, for me. Uh, okay, let's get to some of the the metric stuff here because I want to talk about the receiver metrics in particular because this is a new thing this year that you guys have come out with. There's three different components to it. You score them on their ability to get open, their ability to generate yards after the catch, and then what's the what's the third one? Would you say ability to make the catch? Ability to make the catch. So okay, so. Give me give me an idea of like how these things are calculated. Not you don't have to get into too much of the like the, the nitty gritty nerd shit sort of thing. And then I want to talk about like the applications of this sort of of this sort of metric. So Brian Burke created these metrics, uh, and I think we're really excited about them. I'm really excited about them. The idea is to quantify players' abilities to have each of these three skills, which are core components of being a good receiver, individually based on. Um, sort of what I would say is the the general context, which might be, if, if we're thinking about catch, let's think about catch score for a second as an example. The general context, which might be um, what route were they running against? What coverage? Was there play action on the play? How long after the, after the snap was the throw thrown? The ability to generate catches over expectation based on that general context. And then that local context, which is, okay, here's where everyone is two tenths of a second before the ball is thrown. Uh, where are they compared to the defenders? Uh, do they have, do they have good leverage? Right. So I think to me, uh, it's using player tracking data to set expectations on multiple levels and then find out who is performing over or under expectations. Uh, the quarterback is also part of that expectation too. So we're, we're trying as hard as it may be to separate quarterback from receiver. Um, and if you think about like open score, to me, the thing that is so crucial here is two elements. One, um, we're calculating it on targets and non-targets. So I think that's a, 
a pretty needed change. I know that's something that PFF you guys have have shifted to as well. And, and to me, yeah. that it's so crucial, right? Because we all know that there are players that are getting open that that don't get the ball every time. Certainly, earning targets is a skill, but but not not every time. Um, and the other thing is that uh, separate is not measuring separation. I think we think of we thought of separation as as being openness, and they're two different things. They're related sometimes, but not always. And the example I always give is like, if I'm running a go route and you're defending me, and we have one yard of separation uh, at the time of the ball being thrown. Am I open? Well, I don't know. It depends. If I'm one yard behind you and we're running the same speed, I'm not open at all. If I'm one yard past you and I'm running slightly faster than you, I'm extremely open. And so it's using the player tracking data in that way to understand uh, like actually positioning and leverage to to quantify openness. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So how much does it matter? Like, is this just a general openness? And like, if it's a blown coverage, if you have, let's say, I, double teams are probably something that's not as much of a real thing as some people think, but there are definitely shaded coverages towards certain yeah. players, things like that. Like, those are things I could see influencing the score. And again, we have this score on the basis of, I don't know if it's a, I guess it's like a zero to a hundred sort of, sort of. Yeah. It's a zero, it's a zero to 99 score. Um, and so this is a good question. So the blown coverage yeah. is just, you're going to look really open. I mean, if you, yeah. um, it is, so you'll get, you'll get credit for that. The, uh, the double coverages, it's not, it's like you said, it's not double coverage, but you do get maybe safety help or defenders shaded towards you. And that mm-hmm. is something that the model is essentially, um, is factoring in. Are you getting it the way that it sees it is, are you getting extra attention from defenders? And then that's sort of within the context of, of how open you get. So if the, yes, if the safety is shaded towards you um, or playing you uh, versus your teammate, then that is part of that context that, that there is an adjustment in there for that. Okay. And then when we're thinking of this score, um, as far as on a play-by-play level basis being open or not? Is it like a binary on a play level basis, which then rolls up or can you be super open or like what's the levels of openness that we're There's, talking it, about? Here? It's not binary. It's uh, it's the whole, every, every play, we're, we're not like, ultimately every play is scored. So there is a, a scale um, and it can, it's capped. So if you're if it's a blown coverage, it's not going to look like it's not going to skew your entire score just because of that one play. But um, but but there is a, a full score relative to expectation um, for each play. And actually, like for openness, if you are targeted, uh, you it's looking at two different situations. It's looking at both your openness at the time of two tenths before the ball is thrown and at the time of ball arrival, too. Okay. Okay. All right. So let's talk about some of the the receivers that we see because I'm interested in the open category first. Because at least yeah. intuitively for me, maybe I'm wrong about this, but versus catch, let's say this catch score. I don't know if you guys have done work looking at the stability of these metrics, but to me, it seems like the open score would be more stable than a catch score, only knowing that contested catch rate or something that we would track is... um 
it's not going to be as, as data rich as yours, as big of a sample as yours, because there's only a handful of contested catches for certain players, but it could be all over the place. The contested re- catch rate for certain players. Would you agree that the open score is more, there's more stability yeah. there or, or not? No, no, it is. There, it, it is. The open score is the most stable of, of these. So like to me, <clears throat> they're listed in order of importance, open catch yak, as far as I'm concerned, like, and it doesn't mean they're also, you know, I like them all together because there's a stylistic description within them. But if I'm choosing a receiver that can be exceptional at one of the three areas, it's certainly openness. It correlates the strongest with yards per route run. It is the most stable, like you said. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. So let's look at some of the receivers who are here near the top. So I see AJ Brown is number one, pretty decent margin between him at a 97 and then Tariq Hill at 89, Tyler Lockett, Stefan Diggs, Deontay Johnson, Darius Slayton. <laughs> they're, tr- they're trying to kick this guy to the curb all off season. And now Darius Slayton hive is, is big on here. You, you, if you get a result like Darius Slayton being out there, not that it's wrong, what do you think about it? So he's like, to me, really interesting. I'm going to include him. I'm doing a story next week on like breakouts players, and he's going to be yeah. on the list. I'm going to dive deeper into him. So I'm, I'm going to look closely at this one. The reason why Slayton is fascinating. So like AJ Brown, right? You mentioned he's a 97 this year. He was a 99 last year. So like, you know, you, we can see the year after year for a lot of these guys that are high performers are going to be our high performers year after year. Darius Slayton, if you look back and on 538, we have all this. So you can, you can see everyone's score. You can look at past years. You can type in like I'm doing right now, Darius Slayton. And what is wild to me about Darius Slayton is that if you look at his, his open scores from 2019, 2022, it is 42, 42, 29, 87. I mean, his his overall tracking metrics last year, he was by this by this measure, you know, had one of the worst scores among all receivers a year ago. And so when he's like fighting for a roster spot, I was like early this season, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, that that makes sense. Like uh you're in you're approaching Robbie Anderson territory. This year's totally different with the Robbie open Anderson score. catching strays. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's uh, <laughs> Um, Darius Slayton. So like what I have to wonder about is, you know, new scheme. So he is running different, he's running different types of routes. So the, when now we're, we're accounting, we're controlling for route type, but it's, is it possible that he is maybe excelling in certain, at certain routes, like better than, than he was like, he was running a ton of comebacks last year and he's not, doing that as much and he's running more crossers in the day ball offense um i have to wonder if that's a factor um but i'm gonna take a closer look at him but yeah he's like this year is a complete change totally different person yeah yeah well he also has 40 only 44 targets this yes, year which is sample for him yeah yeah so not as many and that is i assume that fewer routes just in general fewer routes right yeah okay i see the routes here 207 so yeah that's going to be fewer than most people so that that makes some sense there and his you know his catch score is not that great how much does catch score just like drops it's it's uh it's or is it contested catches i mean what what do you think influences it more so 
I mean, yes, I don't know about more. Drops are treated in a, like, it's it's not, it, they are specifically treated as a drop. So it, it does penalize you, um, like, much more severely. And I think it's a factor. Um, I don't know. It would be hard for me to, like, Brian would have to have the answer if we were, like, trying to say, like, oh, 60-40 sure. contested catch first drop. But, uh Yeah. Okay, and then another thing I was looking at here, I was looking at Yak here, and I think we could say that, because Debo Samuel's number one, and Mm -hmm. then um, I see Brandon Ayuk at number nine, George Kittle is down at 17, but still pretty high up there, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to, well, I guess there are are a handful of tight ends that are who are are higher than, than his is there. Now, those guys, I think we would say, independent of the offense, are probably pretty good at generating yards after the catch. But at the same time, it is an offense that is predicated on generating yards after the catch, either out of design or for the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be an air yards type of guy, which are you typically you're getting more of those air yards to the sideline, down the field, things, other sorts of pockets that he doesn't really throw the ball into as much. If you see something like that, like how, how do you think about are we including something from a, like, a, is there a 49ers boost that some of these players are getting? Even though, like, you know, optically we would say these guys are really good after the catch. I always wonder about disentangling those two things, though, um, and how we think about that. Because Jimmy Garoppolo was pretty good in limited time in 2017 before any of these guys were on the team, you know, at generating at least a high. Uh, yards per attempt, which was generated primarily through Yak also. I think the, so the goal is certainly to, to disentangle them. Right. And yes. we're, and we're, it's, and it is relative to expectations. So it's based on the positioning of the players at the time of re- positioning speed orientation of the players at the time of reception. Theoretically that should disentangle, but I think we have to, recognize that there are schematic factors that could maybe still be creeping in there. I wish I had in front of me because we do calculate a team level, um, a team level RTMs, as we say that we aren't, aren't on 538 just yet. Um, and I would love to, now that you mention it, I want to go back and just look at the Shanahan offense um, over the past few years, like, pre-Debo and see if it's if it's always been so high. I think it, what you're saying is potentially like, yeah, is it feasible that the that the four, there's a 49ers boost in the Yak score? I, I don't think that's that's crazy at all. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it. Marquise Goodwin, 27th in his Yak score back in 2017 on here. So not that great uh, yeah. versus versus these other guys. So maybe, but then again, it's 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 including a lot of like non-Jimmy uh, time in that because he did, we only played the last five games of the season at least. Okay. So big picture with this sort Kendrick of stuff. Bourne, I'll just say Kendrick Bourne 2019 was a 63 yak score in 2021 yeah. with the Patriots. He still had, he had a 74 yak score. So that's a, okay. Yeah. So some, some, yeah, so there's, there's some stability beyond team there in scheme and quarterback and all that stuff. Okay. So like application, let's talk about application here. Other than, you know, fodder for uh, like TV arguments or whatever, <laughs> whatever you're going to use or Twitter arguments on this, which is good. I'm all for that. Podcast arguments. Yeah. Podcast arguments, of course, but we try to keep things a little more civil on the podcast. Um, 
what would you think are this like the best applications of this are are that is it potentially even within like a, from a coaching perspective of saying like huh this guy seems to be getting open a lot but we're not throwing him the ball is it you're looking at free agency uh trade is a little bit to a lower you're looking at free agency and like maybe there's this guy where let's face it it's all production based right what these guys are going to get paid when they go someplace else there's probably not much beyond that you could say here's a low production player who may have been misused or not utilized enough by his previous team things like that like where, where do you see the applications and what could i be missing beyond that so I think to me, like from a team standpoint, it's probably personnel most first and foremost, like in terms of acquiring free agents or making trades. I think there is an opportunity. I think there is an opportunity to find undervalued players who maybe were getting open and weren't getting targeted or just it just didn't or like you're playing the re- the regression game, like we've talked, like you mentioned with catch score, right? A guy who maybe was sort of an average catch score player uh, and they go, they have a, they have a down year and you might figure, okay, that's, that's probably a decent chance to bounce back. I think about a guy like, okay. So you, you said like, what happens when you get a weird result? When we were putting, when Brian was putting this together, we're looking at initial results. You'll notice that 2020 Jacoby Myers has a 99 open score. And we were like, Okay, something's up there like that. Okay, that that seems a little weird. Um, Like him and Devontae Adams, 99 open score. Okay, that's – so we started going through the plays. And uh, more than anyone I've seen when I've gone through, there were play after play where Myers was open and, and he went untargeted by Cam Newton. And I think that if you're in that situation where if he's a free agent in that you know, that next year, maybe you're, maybe you're looking at him. I mean, he's a free agent this year. I think he's probably going to get paid quite a bit. Um, and I, so I think to me, like from a, from a team, from a real football standpoint, it, there's quite a bit of application in that way. And then I think fantasy gambling, sports betting, there's probably applications there too. And, and I think it that way as well. Interesting. Yeah, no, I like this Jacoby Myers example that you're mentioning and the Cam Newton part of it specifically because, I mean, you know as well as I do that when you have something and you have a result like this, you get the haters, right? The haters are out. The haters are out. And what I, what annoys me is like context, con- the context crowd, right? The con- Everything else, like if it doesn't have fully 100% contextual everything, then you might as well just take the result and just throw it out and it's worthless. But like, is Jacoby Myers the best receiver in the NFL at getting open? Probably not. Right. <laughs> I think we, we can be confident even if we have a result that tells us that, but does that mean that it's not like useful what we're looking at here? Uh, this sort of score. And I think that's probably a huge differentiator when we're talking about these sort of things is how useful or not it is to have this and then be able to dig in further, like you're saying, and look further at Jacoby Myers, who I think since then has proven himself to be a pretty reliable, uh, good receiver there. A guy who's showing up constantly. The other thing I think is like within the context, right? Well, I yeah. want, I do want to mention this when we talk about guys who don't get, who are not targeted when they are open. Yeah. Say, well, you know, he wasn't, 
it wasn't the progression was didn't get to him or right yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. the play wasn't designed for him and that's okay because it's not always an indictment on the quarterback when there's an open player but would you rather the guy even if he is the fourth progression would you yeah. third or fourth progression would you rather the guy that's covered as a third or fourth progression or the guy that's who managed to break free of his man. Um, and so like, to me, that's still like a good indicator for what I would want in a player, even if it wasn't like the quarterback's quote unquote fault that he didn't throw in the ball or something. Yeah, no, I, I, I want an alpha though. Who's going to be yelling at the quarterback on the <laughs> sideline, and, you know, and the coaches and everyone else until he gets up into uh, the first guy on the read here. Let's talk Deontay Johnson, because I'm looking here 2020. He's right near the top. 2021 he's in he's basically like a top five ish sort of guy every single year and I think he does get open he gets targeted a lot at least he did he's not getting his target as much this season as he has in prior seasons but even this season you have him his open score is tied with Stefan Diggs who I think everyone recognizes as being a premier route runner is there anything like being able to quantify the type of stuff that Deontay Johnson does versus the type of stuff i don't know like like let's look at tyreek hill or someone else or aj brown or someone else like that like there's probably just less um of a benefit to his openness mm. if that makes sense for the team than for mean? some of these other receivers meaning like even if he is open meaning you're more likely to complete the pass like what's your upside with deontay johnson i don't know what is i, I should guess i should look at what his a dot is but it's been pretty tiny in the past Maybe right. that's a function of quarterback, of course. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like, <clears throat> I wonder um, if that's a wrong But, you know, there's also this whole thing of, like, uh, Frisco Josh, friend of the pod, uh, Josh Hermsmeyer. He's very much of a believer, and I think, like, nothing is binary, but we like to talk about these things in a very, you know, overconfident sort of way, where his, you know, running backs don't matter. It's if replying to this is, like, receivers control A dot. Mm-hmm. Receivers control A dot. And I think there is an element to that. I mean, if you look at, uh two of this season yeah there's a new scheme i'll give you that um but his a dot is up like two yards basically mm-hmm. versus what it was in in the past although his time to throw is not is not really any different this year um alex smith probably had a similar thing in 2017 all of a sudden the guy's like the best deep passer in the nfl when he's playing with tyreek hill so i do wonder a little bit on that like again how do we how can we think about this in terms of like what their yards per maybe target sort of number can also be in this, in this situation? His yard, his sense target is up a little bit. You know, he was yeah. 8.0 in 2020, 8.4 in 2021, 9.4 this year. I mean, yeah. I think the quarterback change has to, has to be some, some factor there. Right. Yeah, but it's amazing because his number is pretty strong. I, mean, I know they already re-signed him yeah. to a deal, which was a fairly modest price, but his number is very, very strong. Seems like year in and year out on this one. Um, he's a yeah, I agree though. He's like he's one that stands out to me. I've been I've been sort of like looking at from a fantasy and betting standpoint, these guys who have had strong open scores uh, and then haven't been producing in the the previous weeks and looking for guys that, that pop, right? Like I had a, like I, I put a small bet on Garrett Wilson to go over a hundred yards this week, which narrowly missed, kill me. Like in spirit, I won that bet, you know, uh, yeah. like with Wilson, with Does, Chris can, you, Wild, can you go to the store and use spirit to, to go <laughs> buy some groceries? 
I, I, I wish. Uh, like with, so with like Ayuk <clears throat> early in the year with Olave, with Garrett Wilson, like to me, I've been waiting. Johnson is the one that I'm, I'm waiting to pop. You know, he's the next, he's the next guy. All the others have sort of, as I've looked at this, looked at the strong open scores, they've all had like an explosion game. Uh, and then still waiting for Deontay Johnson. Still waiting, still waiting there. Okay, let's think. I'm going to think about anything else that could play here. Have you ever seen anything on here if there is like a progression as far as a receiver? I mean, I see that what only reason I thought of this is I saw that um, Garrett Wilson is pretty high up here. Do you know if this is something that changes a lot like through a receiver's career receivers at least traditionally had been pretty slow to develop as rookie is now that's not the case nearly as much but still it's about a second year breakout or anything else have you ever have you ever looked at any of that sort of stuff mm, that's a good no like the short answer is no i haven't uh, but i'm trying to think of examples like well like justin jefferson popped right away but we know that justin jefferson was amazing right. as a rookie so that's um that's less like I wonder like a like a Godwin. I'm looking trying to see like if he No, I kind of liked Godwin right away um from an open score perspective. Um so I, I don't know. I would have to take like a, a longer look at it. I like that thought though. I wonder yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting I wonder one. Maybe it's tight ends, really. I, you know, I think that Yeah. The tight end is um, another one where it takes a little while to develop. I see right. Kyle Pitts down here in the 40s. God, he's uh, right, exactly. Or like my fantasy team. Njoku, uh, I think, would be – well, he only qualifies a couple of years. But like Njoku, I think, would be to some degree a, a slow you know, a slow riser. Right, mm-hmm. right. And then on the flip side, and, uh, you know, apologies to a great career, uh, A.J. Green here. At oh, <laughs> number, yeah. number last here, number 99 – because the talk was like when tracking data was coming into play, there was a little bit of a discussion slash concern maybe amongst like an agent community for older players. They're like, ah, these teams are going to use their speed to like say the player's getting older and then try to cut them or not pay them as much or this or that. What do you think about that on the flip side, like being able to gauge a player's decline? I mean, that's true for every, like, I remember, I remember that, that argument, you know? Yeah. The same number of players are in the NFL, no matter what, like the salary cap is the same, no matter what we're measuring players decline all the time. Like we are watching players get worse always. And, uh, AJ Green was an amazing receiver, but it doesn't mean like it doesn't mean that he can't be he can't be bad now. And like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I always think the the arguments again, like because it mostly is in the context of running backs. Like it absolutely yeah, but- shocks me because people are idiots on Twitter. There's no like that. That's another thing I always have to remind myself. And a, a good way, a good reminder of this is like when you listen to someone on a podcast, you're like, oh, this person sounds pretty good, and then you, and then you go to their Twitter and you're like, oh my god, like what the hell happened here? That people are not like their Twitter feeds, but it always shocks yeah, me like, that there were this Kevin Cole on Twitter. I mean, I try. I did have a little comment, though, about Aaron Rodgers, someone in an article. So at least I'm not quote tweeting the person had an article about like scouts talking about his body language is negative. So he's he's packing it in or something like that. And it's like, dude, his Aaron Rodgers is the master of negative body language his entire <laughs> career. Like, are you kidding me? Um, but anyway, uh, 
yeah, there's there's people with like legitimate followings who, when you make a running backs don't matter sort of argument, they say like they they say you know I'm convinced that you don't want to hold down their salaries and that's the reason you're making this argument like people with actual followings will say stuff like that and it's like dude don't you understand the money goes somewhere else if it doesn't go to the running back like what is so special about this one person that it becomes like a political argument or something like that i completely yeah i completely agree it doesn't it doesn't make any sense if this player is declining we measure they're declining and they get cut because their team realizes that they're declining it means there's another guy who's getting an opportunity and is going yeah. to get paid. like that roster spot opens. Yeah, yeah, especially in the rookies, if anything. These guys probably deserve to get paid a lot more than, than what they are. Okay, so long, big, big picture here. Is there any adjustments, additions, other stuff that we're going to see how this can be applied? You mentioned betting as part of this. How would you think that like a betting angle on something like this? So I don't, I don't, this is like speculation at this point. We haven't studied enough uh on a week to week basis. I'm saying yeah. like the way that I, what I mentioned, I think will be, you know, things where you have like a early player prop with, angle, or do you think you can yeah, go like as far as angle. X player is not playing? How can I mean, this affect the a, team sort of angle? More as a, a prop angle, you know, okay, a okay. player like an early season uh, disparity between, you know, there's there a player that gets open, they're still getting open, they used to catch like at an average rate. Now they've had a couple drops. Uh, like, is there an opportunity there uh, to, to find like an undervalued player or someone like to spot an Olave or a Garrett Wilson who are playing with bad quarterbacks, but actually come into the league and are playing really well right away. Um, and maybe that's for dynasty league fantasy, or maybe it's for player props or, um, and I don't know, like, this is like, it is like, for me, this is like, okay, what's areas, areas of research, like things I'll probably look at in the off season to try and see what, what do we see here when we have these, uh, when we have these ratings, can we gain anything uh, on the market or, or in terms of fantasy that, that could be useful? And I'm going to guess, yes. Like I, I suspect that we will, we will find some, something interesting, but, but I don't know yet. Like at this point, I'm still just, I'm still just guessing. Okay, well, I'll be interested to see what what happens there. This actually kind of leads me into another topic that I want to discuss before getting into looking at some of the front offices in the NFL or the the, the team structures in the NFL for analytics. Um, this, you know, there's like a more of an explicit thing about betting now, obviously, with the legalization everywhere. You know, DraftKings, everything is DraftKings being sponsoring the everything in the entire world. Um, even ESPN and broadcast and other things is a lot more explicit tying it into it. I know that you're going through your own personal journey here, uh, betting against Nick Bosa and losing on a weekly <laughs> basis uh, on his sacks. But again, you're, you're, you're just claiming everything and everything. So then my question is, and this has been a sticking point with, talk, okay, talk about toxic Twitter, like the betting, Seville, as they call them, as, oh, yeah. as they call it, uh, like tox, the toxicity of something like that, where they would point out, you know, they would look at ESPN's football power index or something like that and say, ah, how can you have this when the market's way over here, this like that? Do you have to start thinking about the market more generally when you're talking about these different metrics? Do you think because of the fact that betting is now such an explicit part of things, do you think people can differentiate between something being useful like FPI versus you should bet uh, based on this sort of knowledge, those sorts of things? How, how do you think about that generally? Because I'm a little ambivalent on, on this sort of thing, like whether or not, even if it's not explicitly tied into betting, 
whether or not you kind of just have to respect the market so much that if you have something that's nonsensical by the market or, or off from the market, if you can even put it out there and think that the, and, and just, you know, think that, well, we've disclosed everything. So then it doesn't matter sort of thing. I mean, you're asking a question of like something that I've sort of wrestled with in my head for for years, I think, like, right. even though, even though the betting market was, or like with the way we talked about betting when I first got to ESPN um, and, and not like, I, I think my first year I wrote a college football weekly story and it was like, here is FPI and here are the betting lines. And right. that's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and, and, and so like, obviously things have changed quite a bit. And I don't know. It's 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 really hard. I think because well, even if we even if we put something out that beat the market, it wouldn't in the long term because it's because it's public, right? Like if you actually found something that if you actually had something that had value, which college FPI did for a long time, um, eventually it, it will go away. Yeah, especially versus like midweek closing lines, whatever it would be. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, and so and we we certainly use. The betting, like, like respect for the market. Yeah, I mean, we we like we com- That's how we compare our accuracy and um, and yeah, we're thinking about those things all the time. Like you mentioned, my sack props. Like I built a sack model, and I'm trying to figure out if if I can if that can work. And you know, I'm like you said, I'm 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 trying to do that in the least like touty way possible. I'm not touting these picks. I'm just I'm just for like taking you along with me on this on this, uh, on this journey. But, um, yeah, if you, I think measuring against the market is really important, but yeah. Are there going to be times like where you have a result that's like so wildly off of like, of, of course. Um, and that's, it's just really tricky. Okay. Like in the sack, there's a difference, right? Like in FPI, we can't sort of, if something is weird, we can't ignore it. Whereas if I know that, there's a, a situation has changed. Players' role is totally different this week because of something that's totally independent of them. And then I'm going to be way off on. Then I just then I just don't need to bet that number. So that's fine. Um, and I know I know that that's going to right. But I don't know. I'm talking all over the place because Kevin, this is a this is a tricky this is a tricky one for me. I think it I think it really is uh, a difficult question and 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 one to wrestle with but at the same time i think like when we talk about betting i would rather us do it in a from a standpoint of like using quantitative analysis right along yes. alongside it right as a put like yeah. we could also just spit you know just spit out and say i think this guy's gonna score the first touchdown because i feel like it and like that's betting content too but i would rather do it in a quantitative analysis standpoint but it's certainly it's certainly hard when you're when you're comparing to the market no question yeah, but what about even if it's not necessarily betting? Like, what is the reaction if you can maybe this is all top secret information, but behind the scenes, when I don't know, we already mentioned him twice. I've mentioned him every podcast, I feel like. Like when Ben Baldwin's roasting you guys for something, I don't know what it is, like win probability or the draft model or FPI or something. Like behind the scenes, is there a thought of like, oh, <laughs> Yeah, this does kind of look pretty squirrely, or is it kind of just like fuck that guy? Why does why does he why does he keep roasting us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, love Ben. I think 
not fuck that guy generally, but just like in this instance, you know, in oh. this instance, you know, we got we got to just let it go, you know. Total like wide range. I mean, I don't I don't think we're like tracking that closely. I think there's certainly like there. Let me say this: it all yeah. depends because the answer is like there are times when we put out so much stuff, right? Like so right. we have. Not just our receiving metrics, not just FPI, but we're doing college basketball and we're doing uh, all of our, you know, all of our win rates and college football and everything, right? You know, like here, we've got a really weird one in college football right now. We have a, where we are overly bullish on Ohio State to make the playoff and bearish on USC. And we know that. Um, And I think... So it all depends. There are times when I think like there's like some super valid criticism. I think there's times when um, when it's just when it's not. And it just depends on the depends on the situation. I think, you know, in the Ohio State one, like, yeah, I think that we are overly strong on Ohio State and we are we are we are not on USC. And I think that uh, there are I I understand the reasons why that's the case, but it it remains to be it remains true uh, that that we are. Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on a matter of degree also. I mean, I think 538 section, like famously on some of their stuff, like I want to think about basketball probably, would just be like widely off from what the what a betting line will say for who will win a series or something like that. So then, I, so then it also breaks into sometimes you'll have, you know, the media personalities or analysts or whoever, like quoting the stuff. And that's when it gets a little complicated for me if they say like, oh, the – you know, the, the Celtics have a 50% chance of winning this series when the betting markets are telling you they have like a 15% chance or something like that against the, against the Warriors, depending upon the score and this time. So I guess that's another thing where, mm, like, I just don't know, like, I get it. Like, I understand that, but I don't know how much like other people necessarily understand that. Let me ask you a question about this because we were in like, just like 538, we were really, we were really high on the Celtics. Um, Going into that, and we were also super high in the Celtics going into the Nets series, which I think the Nets were slightly favored in the Celtics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but we talk about, but like, but at the same time, like we if if we were so strong, and I don't remember what the number was, but we were really strong in the Celtics. Um, yeah. And I think I think we would say that we were we were too strong, or we were actually really probably underrating the Warriors based on how things were going. It's like we look at it BPI last season globally perform like its overall accuracy was was very good if you compare it to to vegas and so then we start thinking about like is there a do we need to worry about not just global accuracy but like local accuracy and i don't know the answer to that but like i but i wonder and we're making content and so um we want it to you know we it's 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 you know it can also just be window dressing around sports center when it's and um and yeah sometimes it's sometimes it's weird because you have a weird result and weird results happen. Um, other times it can be like a talking point. Other times it could be that there's like an insight that, that we're not thinking, you know, that we're not thinking about. It spans the gamut, but I think it's all interesting questions. It's all things we think about all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I guess probably what maybe one of the, the, the decisions is like, how much do you want to actually use the betting markets as a, as data, right. In what you're doing. Cause that would be part of like Massey Peabody and what they do there with Rufus Peabody and Cade Massey. I mean, like they regress based upon betting stuff. I'm sure, you know, I'm not the one controlling our power rankings and other stuff, but I'm sure that stuff is, is explicitly 
part of that also. So I don't know, maybe it's like a hedge a bit there. But then if you want to be an independent source, if you want to say we're not just going to like spit out what the betting market tells you, uh, plus or minus, you know, 5% win probability in certain circumstances, then I get, you know, I- ignoring it in-, in some circumstances. And we've gone back and forth on that. So there have been like, we've, we've actually moved away from the betting market because of what you said. We're trying to, we're in, in a way, it, some people, in a way it feels like cheating when you use the betting market. Um, yeah. And, and I don't know, I, I, I go back and forth because I was for a while, I was a, like a huge proponent of let's, let's detach from Vegas. And then we get the most interesting. Um, and I don't know, but at the same time, like, I think we all agree that there's like a lot of value in there. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think what it comes down to is hopefully, you know, c- consumers of the sort of stuff get more and more educated and then can make uh, better decisions or at least, at least have better context for what they, what they may be hearing. Okay, let's let's get to the main the main part here. Although maybe it's not even necessarily the biggest part here. So I want to go through and figure out which teams here we can give the moniker of our team based upon their analytical sophistication, um, reliability for maybe making good decisions, maybe a thoughtful, intentional process, as Quasia Dofamensa would say in Minnesota. You famously track all of the different staffers for all the different teams. Um, all the different analytics staffers. If anyone, you know, you're like the you're like the Adam Schefter of a 22 year old who's now leaving his internship to go work as a junior analyst at some <laughs> at some team somewhere. You need that breaking news. You're the guy there, so you're you, you probably have a better idea even than I do of what's going behind the scenes here. Um, maybe we'll even go back for it. Let's, let's try like drafting teams and then giving an idea for it. So I'll give you first, like what team, if you were to pick any team to give that sort of moniker to assuming like coaching decisions, maybe the dynamic between coaches and front office, obviously the fourth down stuff and whatever, but it can go well beyond that. Uh, maybe how they approach the draft, their staffing, uh, their ability or willingness to adapt and then also an idea of what sort of sustainability we may have here so it's not fly by the seat of your pants and you just happen to you know like riverboat ron one year um and then the next year you're just back to being as conservative as uh bill belichick uh are we is this is this our hashtag our teams or are we just thinking of these as being analytically advanced and i think that there's only one team that that makes a difference for which is like cleveland not sure i want like i'm not yeah (laughs) Okay. Yes. Like, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I mean, you can caveat. You can caveat when it comes to the Browns. I've had this discussion many a time in the off season, and I've actually found myself recently, when discussing Deshaun Watson's return, like kind of being bad about not. It's, it, 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 this is another one. Uh, you're walking this line of like, do I want to say for the fifty thousandth time that I think this guy is like probably has committed some very heinous acts, you know, most likely. And, you know, it's probably now is probably a good time to talk about it though. So, so yeah, if you want to differentiate based on that, I'm, I'm all, I'm all for that. I do want to, like, I do want to differentiate. I think it's good to talk about like, especially now, but like where it's like, yeah, I think the Browns were, or the Browns were betting on the idea that people would talk about all the allegations against, Deshaun Watson, and then they would just like go back to t- talking about him as a football player only. Um, yeah, and like that seems like that feels gross to me. In fact, I've like been 
I've had such a in the off season, really, I guess we haven't really been talking about Watson at all. Right. Um, there was like, I just felt like I had such a hard time sort of evaluating like the football Browns because of that. So um, I yeah, will say, yeah. I mean, I also think a part of it, maybe this is not part of it. I think you can use is maybe you don't even have to differentiate in a way. And maybe this is another way where I'm not necessarily as like analytically focused as some people may be on these certain things is like, Hey, creating a workplace and employing people who you feel like, you know, are like respectful human beings that create whatever, like that's important too, you know, like not having in a different sense, not having a bunch of like assholes basically or coaches who make you miserable and stuff like like that could also be something that's important, even if they are winners, you know, in 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 a certain way. So if you want to use that as part of your, as part of your qualifications, go ahead. Well, what I'll say is this, if we're, if if you're asking me who is the most analytically advanced team, just yes. in the, I would say the Browns. So right. I think, um, and, you know, my, my, my annual survey is coming out next week uh, of analytics staffers. So you can see what they said <clears throat> on this, but um, I think I would still choose the Browns. They have a very large staff. I think that there's probably no team that thinks about uh, that makes decisions uh, with more quantitative analysis, like intertwined in that decision-making process. I think, I mean, this is all like, you know, what, what you hear from people who, what they hear. Uh, but I, I think Cleveland probably is that. Um, like I said, I wouldn't hashtag hour them because of the, you know, more than two dozen women who have accused Watson of sexual assault or sexual misconduct or inappropriate behavior. Uh, from an analytic standpoint, I think I would, I would choose the uh, I would choose the Browns. I'll say this. I'll tease this in my survey. One person who left the Browns off their ballot entirely um, gave an answer that a perspective that I thought was interesting, which I'm going to save. But it was related to it was related to Watson in, in this in this thought, um, which I thought was just an interesting perspective. All right. Well, we'll stay stay tuned for that. The only thing I'll say, re Browns, and just again to separate the things like. I yeah. probably ad nauseum was talking about this stuff in the off season and, and should do more uh, regards Watson. But in, in the other thing, the one thing that qu- I question a little bit about their team and their front offices, the ability to make a hard choice to not like to let someone go in some circumstances, I think at best, I know Najoku is, is like is proving me wrong. So, so far, but I would have put this in the category. But me when too, it comes to too, Denzel, wrong on him. Yeah, when it comes to Denzel Ward, when it comes to I don't know, maybe Nick Chubb. I mean, again, maybe getting proven wrong there too. But still, you know, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you give him some more contracts. You're spending a lot of money there. Um, you know, Miles Garrett is fine, um, but you know, the, the ability to just say maybe we don't give a guy top of the market contract who is a maybe more in like the, the five to 10 range sort of thing mm-hmm. for, for, for the players. So that's the only thing I'd say. I, I don't know. Like they haven't let those guys go. They have a ton of money tied up. I mean, we'll see what they're going to do next year. Uh, in a lot of ways, the fact that they're, they're splitting the baby here with this Watson um, mm-hmm. suspension means that in some ways for them, it could have been better if he missed the entire season because then his contract would have told, and he has like a, would have been five million dollar cap hit or something like that in his first year, and next year it's going to jump up to 50 something million. Um, so I don't know how they're going to build. So I guess that that's maybe a little bit of a concern is like 
do you have this long term ish sort of vision versus pressing a lot of chips in at this point in time? But they would not be um, unique in in that fashion at all. Uh, okay, so okay, so if I was going to go next on here, let me look at your your little sheet here. This will help me figure out to make sure I know what I want here. I mean, I guess I'd still I I still go with the Ravens now, mm-hmm. just based upon the uh, body of work. Uh, I know we got some, you know, middle linebackers drafted, <laughs> brought in, you know, off-ball linebackers being brought in. We got a safety and a center drafted in the first round this last year. We got a running back draft a couple years ago. But I think I would still put them just because I have a lot of confidence in how they built things there, how Eric DaCosta there. I've had some conversations with people like Daniel Stern and others who helps work with with Harbaugh and what he's doing there. And how they've pressed their advantages, I think, somewhat with uh, Lamar Jackson and others and what they've done there. I don't know. I, I think I'm still putting them second, especially because of this like reliability sort of function. Some of that is like some of the self-fulfilling positive feedback loop, like you're good and you get a bunch of comp picks and this and that, but they still know how to play the game and how to press their advantages in that regard, which helps that sustainability function. And they let players go. I mean, they definitely let players go and then, you know, bring them back. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they, they're definitely willing to do that. And I think that's important from the sustainability function. And I, I think that's why I would have them. They're still, is still, there are Ravens for me. You don't have any quibbles with that. I assume. No quibbles. I'll be curious to see if they let, if they trade for Roquan Smith and then let him go, which I don't think is crazy at all. In fact, I don't think so. Mm, yeah. I'd have to see what they're, they're always one of these teams where they never really have a situation where, cause you know, you can get offset if you sign guys. So they did make a big signing this off right. season, mm-hmm. uh, but next season, I don't think they're going to. So they, I don't think they'll but have they to worry let, about an they, offset there. It's like if you if they if their plan was just to acquire him, feeling like they had a really good team this year and try and give a boost, and then they let him go, knowing that they're not going to make a bunch of free agent signings, so they're going to get that comp pick. Then, in that way, they didn't pay it that much. It's a rental, but like uh, to me, like it's a, it's kind of a different thing than when you pay a substantial amount for. Like now it's like they're they've paid the they've paid the pick, but then they're gonna essentially not have the comp pick and pay him a contract if they if they decide to re-sign him. So I wonder yeah. if they'll do that. Um I have no quibble with that. I will take okay. I would take the Eagles next. Um, Eagles, okay. And and I think to me the Eagles even though, you know, so we had they obviously had Doug Peterson, they had the the fourth down bonanza in their super bowl year i think that's a sign of a like larger organizational philosophy even though peterson is gone um to me they're they're really they're aggressive but you like usually smart in with their aggression um you go make a trade where you deal you deal a first round pick and sign a player like that player has to be amazing and at a premium position and it was because it was aj brown and a wide receiver um they were taking advantage of their of their window that team is like pretty stacked just across the board i think they've like always done a great job of like having building through the trenches you make light you know make light bets like wrote like uh robert quinn like to me that's a that's a great kind of small like a great kind of i'm a contender bet uh someone a veteran rental gonna just come in and potentially get you some sacks like that's worth it to me so 
I think Philly, yeah, I think they they certainly have. Alec Hallaby is the assistant GM there. That he's the highest ranking, uh, like non GM analytics person in the league right now. I think that's a that's a strong sign too. Yeah, yeah, no, I think they would they would be next for me. And again, it comes to like the sustainability function. I mean, maybe it all falls apart if there's no Howie Roseman there. But I think a lot of the times this stuff comes from ownership, right? And I do mm-hmm. think that that's part of it in in that regard. Okay, so. I'm a little torn here mm-hmm. next next. And I may, I agree. I think there's two teams you can select here. I think there's probably, I probably have a team that you probably that I have a, a particular um, affection for that, that you may not have in here that I may end up choosing anyway. So what I'm going to say is I just really, I, I'm just going to throw it in more for controversy than anything else, but I really love what uh, the Jaguars are doing from a coaching mm-hmm standpoint and this is something where the problem is i don't know about the sustainability because for 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 observers who may have been watching the jaguars for a while the son of shad khan so the owner's son tony khan who has varying degrees of influence there i don't know exactly how much it's it's been or not but he was definitely more friendly as far as looking at analytics and building up that sort of function and building up the research sort of function here. And way back when, God, the, the name is escaping me now. Um, Cause I think he was hired by, he's on the twins now, but they had a research, they had a, they had a director of research there. Daniel a very, Adler. I'm sorry. Dan Adler. Yes, yes, exactly. Daniel Adler was there. So he was there a long time ago, kind of like way, way ahead of the curve. Yeah. Now they had the um, they had some dark times during the, the Tom Coughlin era. <laughs> they kind of pivoted. They pivoted in a very, very much a wrong direction in that regard. You know, Trent Balky, whatever you want to say about Balky, I'm not uh, uh, with him there. But I think Doug Peterson is kind of going to be the guy to – run the ship here of course they brought in ryan paganetti who i you know who had hosted a co-hosted with me for a little bit on this podcast and others and what they're doing at least when i'm watching them play the way that they're not only structuring the offense they're 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 working with trevor lawrence they're using him on the ground a lot more they're designating plays that are better for him and just the way they're executing on a fourth down basis and beyond that a game management sort of basis i think like the non-spike that they did last week yeah. on first down uh, on the final drive, you know, they, they, they had a 27-yard gain. There's less than 30 seconds left on the clock. I think almost all teams would have spiked in that situation. Um, they probably didn't need the four downs, but you, you never know, right? You never know if you need the four downs. Oh, you, one you, this is, you know this. Is, I cannot yes. stand when people spike. When, so they, when like they, this, wasn't, this wouldn't even have been an egregious one yeah, from that standpoint one. Yeah. because they, they might not have had time even to run four plays uh, anyway. But – I think what people don't understand is like that is an opportunity if you are prepared. If you're prepared, that's an opportunity to have a delta and to get an advantage over the defense that may not be as prepared in that exact situation where you're giving them a chance to prepare also by by spiking it. Is you're not only giving yourself a chance to prepare, you're giving them a chance to prepare. So being able to press that advantage and go right away with the play and then score the touchdown and then you know going for two was good enough and that's I don't know. I just I like I like a lot of what I'm seeing from them. 
And they're also a team where I think they played a lot better than their record and can build forward and maybe take a leap next year. So I'm going to throw them in there, even though front office wise, I don't know. I, I can't, I can't, I know they overpaid for Christian Kirk, but it seems like it's okay. Maybe sometimes for, for a receiver. Um, anyway, so I'm going to throw them in there because I'm just so high on Doug Peterson. I would not have had Jacksonville there. It's not that I'd I like to me, they're, they're sort of on this list. They're, they're moving up. But you mentioned like organizational sustainability previously. And in the 20, in the off season prior to the 2021 season, they brought in two heavyweights analytically, Karim Krasam and Eugene Chen. And yeah. Kassam was gone before that season and Eugene Shen was gone the following off season. Yeah. And that to me is not a great sign. Yeah. And okay. So, uh, to me, I like, I agree with you from a, you know, Peterson, like Peterson might be the, mo- like, you know, he might, he's one of the, <clears throat> one of the best, I think when it comes to, to game management, absolutely agree with that. I think, I think there's a lot to like there. I just there are a couple teams I would I would rather choose. Um, so I okay. said I, I there were two teams I was I would debate between. They're both still on the board here. That that, that makes sense. No, I'm, I'm I'm being a little too controversial. I don't think I'd even trust my own. Yeah, it's not uh, controversial. I know you got own, your Paganetti bias. Yeah, <laughs> my own pick here. Well, I just love the Jags. Our Jags. Um, okay, Get, give it. Okay, can I can I guess who you, who your two teams may have sure. been that you're going to look at? Okay, so. I guess Minnesota, because we have we have some buy-in there. And then I guess I would say Buffalo, but there may be someone else uh, also that goes in there. Okay, so I'm going to – I'm going to – you know, I don't want to reveal – Oh, that's a good know, point. I don't want to show you my hand here. I'm going to take Minnesota <laughs> here. Um, yes. You were right about that one. It's yes. a little bit of it's a little bit of blind faith because we, I, we don't have enough, like, run, I think, of the Adolfo Mensa era. But to me, you – hire someone as general manager that's come up through the analytics ranks um, is clearly willing to, I think you, if you, if we listen to what he's saying, if we want like listen also to what he's doing. So like I think about that Jamison Williams trade, which you could, you could, there certainly was a lot of um, debate over by our numbers. It was a light win. And, and I think it just showed to me more than, more than anything that he was willing to like take actions that were backed up by quantitative analysis um, rather than like feeling like that was a, like a great trade. It wasn't a great trade. It was a, you know, a, a fine, a fine trade, um, a light, maybe a, like a very light win, but a lot less than you would expect on the market to get Uh but so it's like I said, it's a bit of a blind faith pick, but I, I have confidence in Minnesota's structure because of him going forward. So I would take Minnesota there. Yeah, he's he's I mean, I he he talks like like it's 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 um, exactly what I want to hear when I hear someone talking about different things. But yet, if I just did, you know, like sometimes for an interview, for instance, when they're auditioning. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying when when they're like doing they, they they develop this thing for if you're auditioning for some like orchestra or something they do blind right so you can't see the person so you mm-hmm. can't tell if it's a woman the race of the person anything like that so you just are able to listen right to to the to the music and to the instrument and I feel like for him if I didn't have his background and 
the interviews, which I think or which I think he does an excellent job. And and I, the screen was put up, and I just saw his transaction so far, like bringing Kirk Cousins back, uh, this trade for T.J. Hawkinson, um, some of the other trades that moves have been made. I would be like, eh, you know, like I don't know, like it, it, it nothing jumps out at me, at least from the actions yet. And that doesn't mean that it's not coming. And I think you're right. Like, we don't just ignore the 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 background and everything else like that. But I don't know. Sometimes I don't want to get too much into, like, background and what they're saying. Because I remember even in the offseason, I was kind of low on Mike McDaniel because he, he, was, he, he was, like, really bad at answering questions about analytics and other stuff. I'm starting to think maybe now he's just, like, a jumbled – he's, like, one of these genius, beautiful mind geniuses who, like, can't get out of thought sometimes – because uh, he's been really good during the season. So I don't know. Actions, that's I'm not I quite think, there that's yet. I blind. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I like I I agree. I agree with you. I kind of like the Hawkins trade, but um but I in general, it's not like the things that he that, that Minnesota has done screams. Yeah, um, I don't mind the Hawkinson deal. Um God, his draft capital though might might, might make whatever contract. I mean, you're gonna have to make him the highest paid tight end in the NFL. That's not too bad now though, like in the NFL, I think. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see what it's like going forward. Maybe they just play out the fifth year option and then don't have to have to worry about it. Okay. So for me, this is tough here because I like, I'm pretty hard on the Buffalo bills actually, even though I was saying that they might be next on this one. So I have to figure out, is there anything else I could go to instead? Hmm. Stability becomes a problem though for some of these teams. Um, I don't know. I would probably go, I probably would go with the bills next, but I'm going to say instead that, Hmm, this is a tough one here. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I am going to go with the bills. I'll go with the bills next, but I, I don't yeah. know. I got a lot of issues though. I got a lot of issues with, with, okay, you have with, with with Buffalo. different things that they've done necessarily. So I'm not like a hundred percent in on what they're doing, but other than that, uh, it's, it's tough with anyone with any sort of stability to think of. Okay. I think, I think the bills, you know, part of what I think is informed by what other analytics staffers think and, and Buffalo's highly, highly thought of. Um, I think, you know, one thing for me that stands out about Buffalo is their willingness to lean into their offensive advantage with Josh Allen. I mean, like, is, has there been a team that's shown in a, in single games where they're like, we are not going to have running back runs? I mean, didn't didn't they about go a whole half? I think last year in a game, the whole first yeah. half without a single running back run. I mean, be like, we are the ball is going to be thrown by Josh Allen or run by Josh Allen, and like to me, that's good. That's maximizing their advantage. They. They know they have a great passing game. They know they ought to be passing the ball, which including scrambles um, as like a ton. And so I think Buffalo's good. What are your qualms? Uh, I mean, some of the draft stuff I'm not super pleased yeah. about. I mean, what, I, I don't guess I don't mind like the Stefan Diggs uh, extension, but it just seemed like they're just throwing money at him for no reason, which I didn't quite necessarily <laughs> under understand under that scenario um yeah i mean it's, it's not bad i don't think there's anything that that's that's been that's been bad there uh, i do like the idea of leaning into um 
the past, and that's going to come up, I think, in the future for I'm going to think about a different team. But maybe I'll just turn it over to you now to, to go ahead. Is there anyone else that you're willing to put into this bucket? I think there's a, a, a serious teardrop after Buffalo. So okay. yeah, I think it's really hard if you're asking me to pick the next team, but I'll do it if you want me to. Yeah, no, let's, let's go ahead and do it. I mean, even if it's something where, again, you don't have the um, sustainability necessarily. I'm going to pick, and I think this would surprise some people, I'm going to pick San Francisco. And it's not because of fourth downs, right? That's like the most visible thing. Kyle Shannon is <clears throat> in contention for like worst fourth down coach in the league. Um, but I think... I think that I'm stealing a thought from somebody, but I think like you, you firstly, you are a <clears throat> organization where um, Adolfo Mensa came from, right? Originally after, before going to Cleveland, I think that speaks highly to them. They have hired uh, some smart people there. I think that there are people. And like, when you talk to other teams, there are people like San Francisco is a team that people mention as being, I think for a couple of years now, I think people have said to me, when I've done these sort of like follow-up interviews with uh, off the analytics survey, like, uh, you know, if I had one more vote, I would have gone, I would have given it to San Francisco. I think San Francisco is right on the edge of this, of this group. And so um, I think that's where I'll go, but it's a huge teardrop. I think after, after Buffalo, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't don't know about that. You're not buying it. He's not buying it. And look, look, let me say this, right? Like the decisions that they make, I mean, this is a team that, this is a team that, invests in a running back at every opportunity, every possible chance they have. Like, what do we need? Running back. You just get no running back, right? Like, I mean, I, I think the McCaffrey trade was a was was bad. Just like I think all like almost all their I know they, they because they drive you nuts, right? Like there's no team yeah. bodies the idea of running running backs don't matter like like San Francisco who are constantly finding these players they didn't invest in who are outperforming the ones they did. Uh, but I think this is going to be more about what I, yeah, what I hear from people with, with, with regard to that organization, as opposed to the headline moves they've made or Shanahan's fourth down decisions. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I could give you that. I mean, it's just like some of the process related stuff, who knows? You never know what's going on behind the scenes, but like the Trey Lance trade up, I know. Yeah, it's pretty reliable sources. And I've heard, I got sources, hashtag sources, that have told me, of course, this is like third hand sources, that like they heard from very reliable people in San Francisco that it was going to be Mac Jones beforehand. And then it ends up being Trey Lance. And then I would say there's probably a 25% chance right now, this is my very analytical uh, estimation, that. Like those, those picks are just worthless now because they're just going to like have to bring Jimmy back or something next, yeah. <laughs> next season. I mean, you know? like, horrible trade. And like, also if it was for Jones, you didn't need to trade all the way up there for him. It's like, like at least based on what. Yeah. People, yeah. Yeah. I don't, who knows, but like what people thought at the time, people didn't think he was going to go that high. But I know. Anyway. But anyway, okay. Well, how about this? Okay. Let me, let me just throw some names out at you. Maybe we don't have to pick it. What do you think about, the Giants as being like Buffalo, but uh, Eastern New York Buffalo. I I like it. I think I think there's a there's a real chance it turns into that. I yeah, guess okay. we don't we don't know. You know. Okay, yeah, I, I like we'll that too. Pass on Barkley, and then we'll find out. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get a little bit annoyed by everyone. To, at least it's died down as they've been losing games. The whole Brian Dable is like single-handedly uh, changed everything in the world. Um, what about on the flip side of you're talking about like that Vikings trade? What do you think about the Detroit Lions? I think the Lions are interesting. They're not well-staffed. That's for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah. but Dan Campbell seems pretty good. I can't, I'm not against their moves necessarily that they've made with some teams, you know, they, 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 they got a decent deal for Stafford. Now that Rams pick, it's going to be a nice pick. That's going to be a nice pick that they're going to have here. You know, they get a quarterback eh, could be in business. I, I mean, I like the direction of things like overall in this, <clears throat> Holmes era. I think that I like the direction of the general moves that Detroit's made. I think that they've, yeah, I mean, Campbell, yeah, Campbell certainly is a fourth down guy, but like, uh, I think in general, this, what they've done has been pretty, pretty solid. Yeah, getting the future first, which is like a thing that NFL teams don't value enough. Is like the non-immediate, like in in basketball, all these teams want the far away first because it could be so good. And yeah. in, in football, it's like it's like the the Panthers passing on the Rams for first future firsts, like presumably because they don't get those picks now. Where it's like, no, that's that's a that's a future, yeah. not a bug. Um, yeah. I think I think that they're setting themselves up to be in a decent place like yeah you know they make some bets on um on guys like dj chark and it's like it's not like he's done it but like i'm saying like make these sort of like short bets why not uh find out if you if you hit somewhere um and i think they're set themselves up for like a decent spot if they find if they can get a quarterback in this next draft which they probably will and uh they give themselves a chance like might as well have done what they did as opposed to like try and cobble together an extra win in a losing season. Now, what about former analytics darling Brandon Staley and the Chargers? I listen. Heel turn. I, I know he did a heel turn on us this 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 year, but what do you think? Yeah, I'm fascinated by this. I don't know what happened here because something I think happened. Right? You have this like yeah, like you said, analytics darling, and then to me, this is the reason why I think it's so weird. Is like he did this press in the off season talking about fourth down decisions and like did a big, you know, date my old colleague, Daniel Popper and with the athletic did a big story with him. And he's talking about how, you know, his own, you know, his own inferences his own you know, how you, how you like your own flaws thinking about things in the moment. And that's why it's better to rely on the data. And like, he's saying all the right things, right. After, after having had his, his rookie coach season. And then this year he's, like I feel like it's being under underrated. Like he has become one of what I would say is the been one of the worst fourth down coaches this year. And I think there's like I can think of three theories. I'll tell you if you if you or you tell me if you hear any anymore. The first okay. one is like he really didn't believe in his defense last year, um, and so he wanted to go for it like like crazy. Uh, the problem, and now he believes in his defense. Cause he has like some extra stars. Um, 
the problem is like that's like a lot of work to like go and say like all of these like quote unquote right smart things uh as a cover story i guess that's possible but the the real problem is that like their defense also isn't good now so uh like that wouldn't hold up and when you're playing the chiefs which you know, when 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 he was conservative against the Chiefs, it's like everybody's defense is bad when you're playing against the Chiefs. So that that really that really didn't make sense. He gave a press conference where he said all of these like old, you know, basically like anachronistic reasons to not go for it, and it was like it was Flip like the field. If you were talking about flipping the field, you got gotta... and momentum, and like it's like if you took an analytics person. You know, there's like that meme, like if some if you're being held hostage and you need to let people know without uh, without without tipping anyone off, like that. Like if you had an analytics person, it was like that was the bingo card. It was it was impressive. Um, so the second theory I would say is like he just got scared. He got the press like got to him. You know, all the the hate got to him. But that doesn't make sense either because like because of the because of to me because of like the work that they did talking about going forward on fourth down in the off season. And then right away, something changed this year. And it just, it just doesn't, I, I mean, it's probably the Occam's razor answer, but it's, but to me, it's like, it's just odd. And then the third is ownership intervention, which like, I'm not reporting anything. I have no, no, I just want to be clear. Like I have no sense on that, but like, I, how could, how could you not think that that is a feasible answer? here because it's been such a behavioral change. Am I missing something? Is there something else that you think could be the re- reason why we've seen this change? Um, no, I, I mean, I think the ownership is definitely something that could be likely could be happening. I don't get the bullying by media. I don't think that's, that doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, but I guess from him, what I'll say is I always got a little bit of a vibe while he was saying the right things. Sometimes we ignored the fact that he wasn't really saying the right things about being overly aggressive. And we're just like, well, it's aggressive. Like he went for it. So it's good. There were some times where he seemed to have some vibe um, based decisions to go for it when maybe shouldn't have gone for it. And we don't yeah. say anything in those sorts of circumstances. So I think part of it, I'm just looking at like their conversions versus expectation on fourth downs by game and the amount of expected points they were adding on this one. I mean, last season, they were just on such a hot streak to start the season. With They were converting over and over again. They're adding massive uh, win probability. They win the Cleveland game because of it. They win the uh, Chiefs game because of it to start the season. And then it kind of peters out a little bit at the end of the season. And it starts off pretty bad to this season. Not great. And it's been generally bad so far this season. So some of it could just be that. It reminds me a little bit of like um, when when their kicker got injured. The Steelers started going for two. (laughs) This is like Mike Tomlin, right? A a number of years ago. And they were making it over and over again. They're like, hey, let's just keep doing this. You know, like Tomlin didn't have any belief. You just start to think that like you start to fall into these traps of like, I'm four of my last five and I have a better chance now on my sixth try than if I would have been one out of five when the reality is you're much closer to whatever the original base rate would be. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's like... I guess I would I would put that in the second bucket, but it, or yes. that means you didn't believe. That means you didn't yes. like, and so that's like why I think it's shocking is because like it means it was not real the the whole the whole time. You're right about the aggressive ones. Like if you, I think like at the end of last year, people would ask us like for our like um, 
you know, or sort of summary statistics of fourth down. And, and like he, the Staley did not look quote good in those. Um, and the reason was because he'd made two, inc- I, I, one incredibly aggressive. I think there were two though, aggressive moves that, that were the Kansas city one where they um, won, where they went for on like fourth and nine or something like that. And right. they were in field goal range and they were only down by a little bit. I don't remember what it was, but yeah, there was, there was that one for sure. I remember huge win probability sacrificed by them going for it as yeah right. and, and so that was like and and so um it's true we did and they, they won that game so we did people did kind of wash over it. i remember being like totally flummoxed though about why why um so yeah that's a fair point okay it, let- i'm fascinated by this one i really am because because it's weird i'll just like to me, it's weird. Yeah, I don't have any window into what they're doing there, but they do not have a whole lot going on in their analytics uh, area there and traditionally have not. And they've had, you know, the GM's been there a while. Well, they have so, a few folks. You know, Aditya Krishna's been there a while. From Cleveland's there. Um, Alex yeah, Turner. I know, but he's been there for like two years or something like that. You know, like he's already, right. I'm just saying, he would have been, he would have been like the most junior person in Cleveland. And now he's like the most senior person uh there and they've added someone else but who knows right. what's, i mean who knows again i have no window into what they're doing there so i don't know what sort of heft or ability they have to influence things but that would be one one other one and then one thing that i'll mention and you know for <laughs> however much we hate uh game management and everything else from andy reed i will say that this kind of goes into like your josh allen point of like at least he doesn't care about like the football guyedness of running the ball i know you <laughs> could say easy he has Patrick Mahomes he has Travis Kelsey he had Tyreek Hill he had all this other stuff but like I still feel like if you just shuffle up coaches and you just randomly assign this exact roster to coaches you know rarely you're going to get a team that's going to you know, easily lead the league in kind of passing over expectation every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when they went to the playoffs a couple of years ago, Bill, Bill Cower was interviewing Reed before the game. And he was like, Hey, uh, you know how, you know how you win if you, when you run the ball, you know, <laughs> they, they wouldn't just like threw the ball 50 straight times and destroyed the competition. Um, like still so, so many people believe in that. So as all the win probability he gives up in these other areas, if you take for the fact that if you lowered their pass percentage by like 5%, 5 to 10%, and you said, now you're substituting, you know, 50 to 100 Patrick Mahomes dropbacks for running plays during the season, that probably has a bigger effect than all than the negatives, a bigger positive effect than all the negatives that we talk about with them. I agree. I think that's like a totally fair compliment uh which, which i think is is true like it, yeah you really like there would be a lot of coaches that would want to run the ball way more with patrick Mahomes, and andy reed doesn't doesn't care about that yeah so he so he gets it from that sort of level even though for the love of god just hire someone to do your 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 time management and other decisions there all right any, anyone else you want to mention before i before i let you out of here no, I think that's it. I mean, you know, certainly there's good people all across the league, but I think those are the the teams that that jump out to me, the ones that we talked about. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think what we have to be happy about here is we'll see what happens with the Bears and some others with some younger front office people there. We have to be happy about it. If we had this discussion five years ago, <laughs> it would have been like, uh, so, yeah, I got, got nothing for it. I got nothing. It would have been like uh, Sashi, and that would have been, been about, about it. And then he would have got fired nine months later. Um, okay, Seth, 
I know you're on Twitter at Seth Walder. You have your survey coming out next week of analytics staffers. Anything else you want to plug before I let you out of here? No, I think that's right. Uh, I would just say we talked about the receiver tracking metrics at the yep. top. If you can, you can find those on 538, and we're really happy that we're able to share um, like all of that. You can see all the outputs, look back at players historically uh, as far back as yeah, we have. Yeah, going back data. to 2017, you can combine seasons, individual seasons, search for players, all that different stuff. Yep. So, uh, like, I have fun playing around with that. I like I like looking at it. I hope folks do too. Yeah, you know, this has been great. I'm going to dig into it further and further and probably post some stuff about it. Uh, for everyone who's tuning in, thank you so much for making it here to the end of the podcast. If you want, go ahead, rate, review the pod, leave comments on YouTube. If you're watching it via YouTube, I tend to, you know, glance at those that are not psychotic. And most of your comments are pretty good, I have to say. I have a good audience on there. Uh, otherwise, um, I'm going to let everyone go, and then I'll be talking back, wrapping up Thursday Night Football on Friday. Thanks, everybody.